Hello and welcome back. We have another pack show for you this week. More features, more jobs and more advice. This is LJ and you're listening to Careers Talk. Our guest this week is one of our colleagues. It's the lovely Ben Cape. Ben is our audio engineer and has come to us from a very exciting and eclectic career in the music business. We ask him about working with iconic artists like Eric Clapton, Sting, Bill Wyman, Boy George, and to one of the all-time classics and a personal favourite of mine, the soundtrack to Dirty Dancing. All of the sort of constituent parts of that record have been individually recorded. The sound of them has been tailored at the time and they've been added one by one. So that, that would be my, my job, making the record sound good. Pick the poster this week is Zias. Zias came to the forums for advice about being repeatedly turned down for jobs due to a failed CRB check. Intern Sam talks to him about his situation now and puts him through his paces in the quick fire round. The advice really was, well look, you know, don't give up just on the back of how the one employer has treated you. There's many employers that will be able to look beyond that. Jonathan Everall from Guardian Jobs will be along later for Just the Job. And Just the Job has morphed into Jobs Top 10. We'll be giving you our choice of Jobs of the Week. And we have another new feature, Tip for the Week. We enjoyed ex-editor and now creative director at Bauer, Julian Lindley's story so much about his career that we've asked him to come back in to give us more. He'll be sharing with us what he's learned about negotiating the world of work and hopefully be giving us a Tip for the Week. But first, let's say hello to Kerry. Hi, Kerry. Hi, LJ. Have you had a nice week? Yeah, great week. Really busy as usual. Lots of exciting things. So what book were you reading? I've been reading Grace Owen's The Career Itch. The Career Itch is that feeling of restlessness you might get when you're in a job if it doesn't quite suit you or you've spent your time there and it's time to go on to something else. Mm, Well, we've all had that, haven't we? Yeah, definitely. I seem to continually have it. Well, that's it. People do get it throughout their lives. And Grace Owen, in particular, she gets it every two or three years, she says. Oh, right. That's about the same time I get it as well. And that interview's online, isn't it? Yep, my chat with Grace is live. Excellent. Okay, what about the Q&As? Which one have you picked out for this week? I've picked out bullying in the workplace this week. It was really interesting and really lively. And I thought the advice shared would be really useful for other people. So who did you have on the panel? I had uh, Philip Landau, our employment law expert. ACAS, Unison, Chartered Management Institute, Humane Resources, and they're an employment dispute service. And we had Bullied by Boss as well. And that was an anonymous blogger who writes about their own experiences of workplace blogging. So it was quite an interesting perspective to have that on our panel. And what did they have to say? Well, they were sort of talking a bit about the coping strategies they have for work and (laughs) things like listening to affirmations, going for long walks, how they felt about if the legislation was more specific about what counts as bullying. Because at the moment, it's quite vague. There's no specific legislation which determines what bullying is and how it should be dealt with. And they don't actually believe that that would help because they, she says it's so case-specific. One person's being cruel to another is completely different to another person. Yeah, so, so very hard to make it yeah, sort really of a subjective. universal rule. Yeah. yeah. So were there any common threads with the posts? That, like I just said, sort of defining bullying. But I picked out one post from someone who'd beat their bully and the advice that they gave to the processes they took, I thought, could be really useful. Tell us. And this was uh, Vakoda, and they're working for a charity in the department of just two people, them and their boss. 
their boss was under quite a lot of pressure. They were both very busy and the employee felt that the boss took the pressure out on them. And when they were given instructions or criticisms or any feedback whatsoever, it would be screamed at them across the office. And it was, you know, they obviously felt very uncomfortable with that. And so they complained and they got moved to a different space in the office, but were still under the same management. So they'd just phone up and scream with all this stuff like they're down the phone, which they were like, is this ever going to end? So eventually it, it got too much for them to handle. So they decided that they wanted to resign. So they compiled an email stating that they felt that they were working in an unprofessional environment, that they couldn't take the abuse and the handling of their boss anymore. They had email examples of abuse and they'd kept a diary of things that had happened. So they sent that to the area boss, CC'd in the bully boss and the HR department. And the outcome of that was that they were whisked away to a kind of sort of hush-hush meeting and, you know, you sort of pleaded to them that they would stay, that they were a valued employee, that their skill set was really valuable to the to the company and they were taken from their boss's control and worked in a different department. So oh. they overcame it in that way. Wow. Yeah. And so I think the advice very much is to keep a record, isn't that right? Absolutely. I mean, a diary with specific details, sort of like what's happened, what's been said specifically, try and get sort of quotes as quickly as you can with dates and times, any email correspondence. And if you've got an employee that you work with that can vouch for you as a witness, that also is really helpful. So if there is anyone listening out there that is suffering at work, what can they do? Are there places that they can uh, go to for help? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll link to all of the organisations that are involved in the Q&A, such as the British Association of Counsellors and Psychotherapists for that angle. And um, Philip Lando's got a section on on the forum that people can post questions to find out their legal position in these sort of situations. Now it's time for a new feature, Tip of the Week. Over to you, Julian. My tip of the week for this week is just pick up the phone. So this is something that I've done this week that has stood me in great stead for my future career, has really helped me out. I've got a big important meeting, but it's also the thing that got me started in my career in the first place. I think these days, because of technology, people are too prone to rely on technology as a form of communication, which is obviously great. Emails are a brilliant way of communicating with a lot of people at the same time. They're also a great way of summarising what you've talked about to make sure that you've got a written record of conversations. However, nothing beats that kind of human contact still. And certainly you can cover an awful lot of ground with a telephone call, but also you can communicate so much more directly because obviously in an email people can misconstrue what words mean. One time I found this really useful was when I first started working at Heat magazine. We had this big whiteboard on the wall where we wrote down the names of all the celebrities that we wanted to interview. And right at the bottom of the list, obviously, was Madonna because she is the Holy Grail as far as interviews are concerned. So as we were going down the list, people were taking on particular celebrities based on their contact with their PRs and relationships. And then you could see everyone sort of like starting to fidget and turn away as we got further down the board. And then Mark, who was the editor, said, right, who's going to take on Madonna? And there was tumbleweed, you know, down the middle of the office. Everyone was sitting on their hands. And probably silence for a good couple of minutes. And I just thought, I'll sod this, I'll do it. And I stuck my hand up. And before I had time to lose my nerve, I picked up the telephone to Barbara Sharon, who is Madonna's UK publicist. She's a fierce character with a fierce reputation. And uh, I just said, hello, I'd like to interview Madonna, please. And uh, Barbara started laughing because I'd just been so ridiculously naive and straightforward about it. But it started up a conversation 
that then actually, do you know what? Didn't end up with me interviewing Madonna. I, I still yet to this day to get that interview. However, what it did was it took away my fear and it also built this brilliant relationship with one of the most powerful publicists in the UK. So Barbara has this very fierce reputation. She's a tough, ballsy American woman. However, she is the best laugh as well. She is warm and charming and sincere and she's incredibly funny. I mean, God, you know, I can't believe I was once so intimidated that I didn't want to pick up the telephone to her. And then cut to a couple of years after that, I was rolling around her living room floor, blind drunk, after she had taken me to have dinner with Cher. It's a brilliant illustration of what you can actually get out of just, you know, making connection with somebody. That was creative director at Bauer, Julian Lindley, with his tip of the week. And if you want to hear more of his thoughts, you can find the whole thing on careers.guardian.co.uk. And on to just the job. Kerry's joined by Jonathan Everall. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. From Guardian Jobs. And they're both going to tell us which jobs have made it to the list this week. Kicking off the chart this week at number 10 is a dance production officer role with the brilliant dance organisation Academy. They are looking for someone to plan, organise and manage all of their performance work. Uh, Number nine, if you're looking for a research role, we've got a careers officer for early careers researchers and that's needed at the University of Southampton. At number eight, Food for Life is looking for a partnership events officer in Bristol. The candidate will join the communications team and deliver national and regional events. At number seven, there's an opening for a consul or head of section at the British Embassy in Lisbon for someone with excellent Portuguese. Coming in at six, a concierge lifestyle management company with clients on its books including top-end celebs and MPs wants to fill a receptionist role, but there's scope here to develop into an account executive within nine months. Quite a good one. There's a great potential to earn a good wage at number five but with a salary of up to 50k. This is with a healthcare copywriter within a newly branded agency. At four, those looking for an entry route into the BBC, and who isn't, should check out the BBC Vision Intake Pool based in Birmingham, Bristol, Manchester or London. This will be working on running, production management assistance across loads of great shows. Number three, here's one for consumer rights enthusiasts. Which is looking for a digital editor to create content and to improve and help the lives of its consumers. Not quite hitting the top spot at two, there's a vacancy with the Westminster Drug Project for a prison link worker. They'll be facilitating group work and needle exchange at Wandsworth and High Dam prisons. Okay, and the winner at number one, the arts organisation, the Proud Group, needs a promotions manager to deliver an innovative programme of live music, cabaret, comedy and fashion events. Perfect for experienced events managers with great contacts. They sound great. And if you want to find out more, Jonathan, how do you find out more? You can visit the Guardian Jobs website. There'll be application details, closing dates and further information. Give us the website address. Guardianjobs.co.uk Excellent. Thanks very much, both of you. Joining me in the studio now is Ben Cape. Ben is an audio engineer here at The Guardian, but previously was entrenched in studios working with some of the biggest names in the music business. Hi, Ben. Hello. So before we go on to talk about all of the amazing people you've worked with, um, can you just explain what you do here at The Guardian and what your job involves? Well, I'm the audio technician here at The Guardian, and my job is to look after the audio side of the seven studios that we have here. I maintain the studios, keep them working. Um, I had a hand in specifying them and building them. I've trained the majority of the staff in how to use them. 
And basically, it's the complete workflow right the way from recording, mixing, editing to encoding and uploading of the final audio to the website is my responsibility, the technical side of it. Because I was a recording engineer in a former life, I also get to record things that people here don't necessarily have the experience to do, like bands. So let's go back then and talk about where you came from. You just mentioned there that you were a recording engineer before and you've worked with so many amazing people, I don't really know where to start. So maybe we could start with just a a little list of some of the people, some of the names. Well, over the years, I worked with Eric Clapton, Sting, Nine Inch Nails, Beautiful South. Did some stuff on Dirty Dancing, The Waterboys, Bill Wyman, Bon Jovi, Boy George, Robert Plant, Mantronics, Transvision Vamp, Vanessa May. Wow. And that, there's more than that yeah. as well. I did it for 20 years. Wow. So. And an, um, an amazing list. Yeah. You must have been a fan of some of those artists. I mean, what was it like to work with them and have them in your studio? Great. Absolutely great. Initially, when you're, you know, at 20, it was quite sort of awe-inspiring, really, you know, to be in the studio with these people, just thinking, wow, I'm with these people. Can you remember any particular occasion that really stands out in your mind? I can remember meeting Freddie Mercury for the first time. Oh, wow, what was that like? Again, I was very nervous and he was very charming and very polite and very professional, um, as were most of the people I worked with, really. It was rock and roll, but, you know, studio time was very expensive, so people were professional and worked hard and, you know. I suppose they kind of left their personas at the door when they came into yeah, the studio, the time, you know, was, step was, into, do your role. Yeah. It's work. Yeah. I mean, in the same way as, you know, we'd come to work and get our head down and get the job done. That's what they would do as well. Did you go, did you on tour with people? No. You never no, did. It was, it was pure, always studio It was always based. studio things. Right, I did do the occasional live recording where I'd go out in a truck and record people like I recorded Wham! at the Hammersmith Odeon in a truck. But I, I was that the was person. Mental. Oh, it was funny, shuttlecocks down the front of the pants and things really? like that. Really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Women screaming. Yeah, but absolutely, absolutely screaming. nuts. Or girls screaming. Yeah, young girls. Yeah. yeah. It's so noisy. No one can hear any music no, in those. <laughs> just screaming. <laughs> yeah. It's a headache. Ben, have you got an album or a recording that you're particularly proud to have worked on? Well, I'm proud of of, of a few things, really. But I think the one I'm most proud of is the Nine Inch Nails remix that was used for the opening title sequence for the film Seven. Personal preferences, Eric Clapton, Sting, very nice, but I like my music a little bit more dark and dirty, and the whole thing about that film is so sort of twisted and dark and dirty, and the music itself was mixed in a way that I wouldn't normally mix music. It was, there was very little effect. We made it sound nasty, and the whole effect of this. So, yeah, very proud of that. Let's talk about how you actually got into the business because, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. Where did you start? Did you study music production at university? No, 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 no. I... um I learned how to play the piano when I was very young, um, so I studied music in that way. And then I joined bands when I was about 15, started playing in bands, punk bands at the what, time. What were you playing? Bass. You the better, of course. Bass. With a Mohican. <laughs> I had a Mohican at <laughs> the time. Did you? Yeah. What colour? Um, it was white. Oh. A white Mohican. Right. And then it was black. <laughs> but no, I was just really obsessed with music, and I wanted to get into the music business. I had no idea. I saw an advert in a local paper 
for an assistant engineer. And it was Strawberry Studios South in Dorking, which was owned by 10CC. And I went along for an interview and got the job. And I think it was just by sheer force of will, I so wanted that job. And I think that must have just come across come through. in the interview. So you were 18, were you, did you I was say? 18. So you just finished school, just, just finished 18? Just finished sixth form. Right. Originally, I wanted to be a musician. And then starting working in engineering in the music business, I realised that I was actually had a bent for that kind of thing anyway. I just picked up the way equipment worked and the whole way the studio worked very quickly and realised I could be quite good at that. But working with some of the musicians I worked with who were some of the best musicians in the world, I realised quite quickly that I'd probably never be as good yeah. as them. Yeah. So stick and to what you're good bother? at. why yeah, bother? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Also more comfortable behind the scenes than, you know, in front of the scenes, yeah. basically. Um, what do you do? What, what, what's involved in being a, a recording engineer? Well, a sound engineer is the person who sits behind the desk. They will set up the mics. They'll specify what types of mics they want to use for what instruments. Set up the whole band with the mics in the position that they want. And then go to the desk and record it. But it's more to it than that. It's, it's a technical job with an artistic side as well. You've got to create the sound. You've got to make it sound good. And you do that with EQ and compression and various studio effects and things. At the point of recording? Well, some at the point of recording, more at the point of mixing, really. At the point of mixing is where you would make the whole, all of the, say, 64 tracks that you've recorded, or however many tracks it is that you've recorded, you would bring them all together to mix them to make one sort of homogenous record. But all of the sort of constituent parts of that record have been individually recorded. The sound of them has been tailored at the time and they've been added one by one. So that, that would be my, my job, making the record sound good. And when you're saying EQ, you mean equalise, do you? Yeah. Okay, it's like, just to clarify. It's like a tone control on yeah. a hi-fi, but yeah. more sophisticated. Yeah. So you've got bass, middle and treble, treble. but you can select the indiv- individual frequencies. So it's much more powerful, basically. Yeah. And so how much input does a band or a recording artist have on the finished sound? Mm-hmm. Depends on the band, depends on the producer. Most bands come in with a clear idea of what they want to sound like. They, they sound like a certain band. Say you 2 they, they sound like you 2 And the engineer, the overall tonal quality and the size of the record, you know, if it sounds big or small, that's down to the engineer. Generally, what I would do is when I'd, I'd start a mix, I'd say to the band, give me six or seven hours to start the mix. I'd get it into shape. I'd EQ things, make it sound a certain way, the way I thought was right. After six or seven hours, the band would come in and hear how it's going, and they'd say, "Well, that's great. This is great, but can we have a bit more of this? Can so we, we have do, a bit more of that, a bit more or, reverb, yeah, yeah a bit something, more bass, a yeah. bit less treble, yeah, or whatever. more voice or less, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Can you tell us about the first ever session that you had to record yeah. as an engineer I remember and what it, really it was well, like? Because there's me. I was 21, I think, by the time I got to engineer, and I knew how studios worked. Technically, I knew everything about the studio sometimes more than the maintenance people but I didn't know how to make things sound good Key. I'd never <laughs> I'd never really done that you know and my first session it was at the townhouse and they put me in with Eric Clapton wow my first session with <laughs> Eric Clapton I was terrified yeah, absolutely but... terrified and he had his band and his band are all amazing players and you know they had a producer as well and there's me and you know, I think it went okay, but I was it was just fear, absolute fear. 
you can know how everything works technically, and you're, but you're still not a recording engineer. To be a recording engineer is you've got to have a clear picture of the type of sound you want to go for. You have to know how to get the sounds. You have to know how people make records sound a certain way. So when someone says to you, I want it to sound like this, you can just go, okay, right, and do that. And I didn't, really. And that comes from experience. It does, yeah. yeah. We want to ask you about Dirty Dancing. Right. <laughs> so it's something close to all of our, us girls' hearts, isn't it, Kerry? Definitely. Is uh, the soundtrack to Dirty Dancing. And did you have Patrick Swayze in the studio singing She's Like the Wind? No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. Well, sure, he's sexy. No, he did. I didn't do that bit of the album. I did a different bit of the album. It's called You Don't Own Me. Wow. And I recorded and mixed that. And, yep. Got well, my name on the album, 45 million sales later. <laughs> amazing. We're going to go proud right it. now and listen and relive our memories <laughs> of the film. Absolutely. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other Well, it was just another job. I just turned up at the studio, and at the time, no one knew, you know, that Dirty Dancing was going to be one of the biggest films of all time. Just turned up to do a day's work. The band were there. It was the Blow Monkeys. Did that track, recorded it, mixed it, finished it at about oh, two or three in the morning, and yeah, it went on to sell 45 million copies. It's got my name on it, and and I've got a gold disc at home. Wow! And, and I can't believe, yeah. you know, now I just look and think, God, I was, I was, <laughs> how part did that happen? That, yeah. But it was just another day's work, and that's one of the things about being an engineer in a big studio is that you just never know what's coming. What's coming? You could do something absolutely, you know, that could change your life forever. Do you get royalties for that? Unfortunately, or? not. Ah, so you're no. paid for the job, I got paid and that's by it. the studio, and that's it. <clears throat> that's Gosh, it. that's unfair, it's such isn't a it? Know, it's very unfair. Ah. Oh. If only you'd known to write a clause in somewhere. Mm. Uh, so you finally had enough of the music business in 2000 yeah. Yeah. and moved into radio. Why did you leave the music business? And also give us a flavour of the kinds of things that you moved into when yeah. you worked on radio. I left the music business. It's a great job for someone in their 20s and 30s. Fantastic, glamorous, exciting. As I approached my 40s, I just felt I didn't want to work quite so hard, really. And I also didn't want to just work on music anymore. I think I grew up, basically. I wanted to work on other things. Um, so radio came, was obviously a natural progression. Natural progression. It's the same job, basically, recording, um, being an SM. A studio manager. Studio manager is basically the same job as being a recording engineer in the music business. You, you're in control of all the equipment. You make people sound good. Technically, you make sure everything works. And so I went into that. So that really takes us back to The Guardian and yep. your time now. Yep. What do you think about your career when you look back over it? And what have you learned through your career? And perhaps what kind of advice you might have given yourself had you had the chance when you were a young boy? Well, I think, you know, you change over your life. And you've got to give yourself as many options. I think one thing I would do now, do differently, is I'd go to university and I'd get a degree in something completely separate. It's good to have options. And my advice to anyone who wants to go into the music industry, 
I would say get your qualifications first. What kind of qualifications? I wouldn't go off and do a media studies degree. A music production degree? No, I wouldn't do that because if you got a job in a studio after, you would have to start at the bottom anyway. Right. You know, just because you've got a degree, they would still have you in there for two years making cups of tea and working your way up and learning the way things are. Get your education out of the way first. Get a degree in whatever it was. Whatever um, you like. Whatever you like. Then if you want to go into the music business, try and get a job in a studio and work your way up. You know, But you've always got that back up. It's not necessarily something you'll do all your life. It's a young person's job. Go into it. Enjoy it. If you're successful, then maybe you'll get a long career out of it. But get your education first. Are there particular avenues for people to find out how to get into studios? Or do you just pick up the phone and... I wouldn't pick up the phone. I would send letters. People still get taken on. So if you want to be an engineer in a studio, the best way is to get yourself into one of the biggest studios and make cups of tea. You'll, you'll probably start earning next to no money at all, but you'll be in the right place. You'll be working with the people. If you show enough keenness and if you're good at the job, you'll move on. You know, you'll get to do more and more. You'll get put on sessions with sort of big artists and eventually you'll become an engineer. Because that's what happened to you, wasn't it? Yeah, I couldn't believe my luck. And I was there for 10 years. Wow, yeah. So, Thank you very much, Ben. Really appreciate your time. It was lovely to talk to you. And to pick the poster, intern Sam. Hi. Hi, LJ. Who have you picked this week and why? This week I picked Ziaz. Ziaz lost his job as a social worker after a CRB check highlighted a minor offence that he committed 15 years ago. So he just wanted some advice about what he could do about that. The offence in the CRB in itself, it's, it's way past a legal threshold period. I've, I've worked in and around a, a number of posts, careers advisors. I work alongside drug users, drug services. I've been an arrest referral officer. I've worked alongside police officers. I've been a hate crime officer. I was then employed as a local social inclusion unit manager, but the CRB propped up and the the school and the local authorities' response was so knee-jerk. They weren't in a position where they really wanted to listen to where I was with with, with the actual CRB itself. So what what advice did you receive and what did you think of the response that you got on the forum? It was more words of support that I received from the forum itself. It was really admiration for the work that I had done and the various projects that I do do. The advice really was, well, look, you know, don't give up just on the back of how the one employer has treated you, that there's many employers that will be able to look beyond that. More than anything, it's actually given me just a greater sense of solace. But it, it was quite a, it's quite a blow to sort of have. Is there any other advice that you would have liked to receive from the forum or anything else that you would need, you um, could need help with? Yeah, I'd, if there was a, a very concise stepstone advice, like uh, go from step one to step two, that would have really helped because this is, as, as much as I've really taken a lot from the sport that was left on the forum, it's still a minefield I still have to navigate. Um, and I think that's really awkward. So probably some more practical advice then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thanks for the feedback. Okay, we'll go on to the quickfire bit now, Zia, which is obviously a bit of fun. What was the first job you ever had? Uh, second-hand bookshop. Absolutely loved it. And what's the best job you've ever had? The best job I've had is the job I'm doing at the moment. And what's the worst job you've ever had? Oh, God. Um, customer services with a retailer. Hated it. If you could have any job in the world, what would it be? Do you know, I've actually said Prime Minister. <laughs> 
quite ambitious. What's more important to you, salary or job satisfaction? Job satisfaction. And if you won the lottery tomorrow, would you still go to work the next morning? Yes, I would. And if you ran away to join a circus, what kind of job would you do for them? Certainly an event organiser, because I've organised a number of outdoor cultural festivals. But if, it, if it's not the event organiser with a circus, and certainly a trapeze artist. <laughs> not the lion tamer, then. Because I think it offers the same, <laughs> the same challenge. <laughs> and what's the best bit of careers advice that you've ever been given? Learn to become thick-skinned. Right, last little bit, then. You've got 30 seconds. Pitch yourself mm -hmm. to a potential employer. I've got an array of uh, uh, skills and in-depth working knowledge of communities and that's both the black and uh, minority communities and it's really uh, gained from practices and experiences. I've got the maturity to be personally organised. I'm very quick at turning around decisions, strategies and defined and manageable outcomes. And I've really got objectives that I pursue logically and not deflated easily. Well, I think you probably even got it within 30 seconds as well. Oh, did I? <laughs> I'm not sure, we'll have to double check on the edit, but well done. That was Zias talking to Sam earlier today. Thanks, Sam. We have just enough time to find out what's happening next week, Kerry. Live Q&As on the forums next week on January 26th. We've got a live CV clinic. Uh, lots of coaches and CV book authors going to take part in that, how to write a brilliant CV. That'll be popular, no doubt. I hope so. On January the 27th, we're going to be talking about management consultancy. And the reason why is because there's been a recent poll into the top companies graduates want to work for. And management consultancy is about four or five were in the top ten. Wow. So, yeah. popular sector. Yeah. On the 28th, we're looking at civil engineering. And that's part of our National Occupation Shortage List series. And on Jan 29th, intern Sam is running a discussion on getting into theatre and set design. Oh, that'll be interesting. We yeah. haven't done anything on that before, have no, we? No, nothing theatre related before. I'm really Excellent. looking forward interesting, to that. Interesting, yeah. All that's left is to thank our studio guest, Ben Cape, Julian Lindley, Jonathan Everall from Guardian Jobs, intern Sam, poster Zias, and of course, Kerry Ann Eustace. Thanks. Remember, you can find out more on everything we've talked about on careers.guardian.co.uk. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm LJ Filatrani, and thanks for listening. <laughs>